to another episode of the William Branham Historical Research Podcast. I'm your host, John Collins, the author and founder of William Branham Historical Research at william-branham.org. And with me, I have my co-host, researcher, minister, and friend, Charles Paisley, the founder of christiangospelchurch.org. And together, we're examining the history and the intersections in history between William Branham and other key figures that either influenced or were influenced by the post-World War II healing revivals. Charles, we have tried very hard in this show to completely avoid conspiracy theory and just present the facts and let the people decide for themselves what do we believe, what is the gray area, and what of this is truth or fiction? You know, and let the listeners decide for themselves. And we try to avoid the conspiracy theory. But today is going to be a bit fun because to paint the full picture of what's happening at this point in William Branham's ministry and the revival in general, we have to talk about the conspiracy theory. And we're going to get into some things that are crazy, crazy interesting that I'll tell our listeners right now have no answers <laughs> because it's conspiracy theory. But <clears throat> we have to talk about it because the thing that happened plays such an important impact in William Branham's ministry. And after this, there's a clear shift in his ministry. Um, years ago, I identified this problem as I'm studying the message and I'm studying William Branham's psyche and watching the difference. If you open up one of the very, very earliest recordings and transcripts that we have access to here and compare it to one of the last ones that we have to hear, these are two different people. It's the same man, but these are two different people. And so I began studying his psyche and I spent I, don't, I can't tell you how many thousand hours trying to understand what changed, what made him different. <clears throat> and then I stumbled on this by accident whenever a, another researcher and another category of research contacted me on the website and we began combining our research. And suddenly I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the biggest thing that I have in my arsenal of <laughs> history on William Branham. And I can't give an answer because this is, again, it's conspiracy theory. But I'm going to preface this episode with this because I have to. We've got to get this out of the way immediately. I began uh, the point of time in which we're talking about is the Kennedy assassination. And I began publishing some of that research as we were combining my research with the other historian. And... I, uh, some of you know, I have this docu-series. There's about 39 or 40 episodes, I think. It ends on that note, the Kennedy assassination, because that is the shift between the two completely different personalities, William Branham, night and day difference. As soon as I published that research, I started watching ministers in the cult were telling their congregations, actually telling them this, that John Collins is claiming that William Branham assassinated President Kennedy. <laughs> and those of you who have seen the docuseries know that's absolutely blatantly false. There were even websites that said John Collins claims that William Branham assassinated President Kennedy. And sadly, Charles, it actually worked. There were people, some of them have now escaped, and they've told me that 
they were dissuaded from looking because they had been falsely told that John Collins is claiming <laughs> William Branham assassinated the president. And um, once they found out that they were lied to, they're like, wait a minute, if they're lying about that, what else are they lying about? So <clears throat> I'm going to get it out of the way for all of those who are in the cult and they're listening and we're talking about this big thing, the assassination of John F. John F. Kennedy. I'm going to get it right out in the open. We are not claiming that William Branham is the person who pulled the trigger. However, <laughs> as we're going to get into in this episode, this is one of the most complicated histories in American history to understand because much of it has been sealed. And there are more than conspiracy theory in connections between William Branham and individuals who were part of this massive plot to silence the president one of the parties may have killed him we don't know which there is some conspiracy theory in the connections and that's what we're going to have to dive into because what happens is it changed william branham's life yeah we've got a really intriguing episode today john uh, i know it's a topic that certainly interests you i know you've been able to look into this a whole lot and of course, this is not a topic that is probably going to um, convince anybody <laughs> that the message is wrong, or uh, it, but it is uh, something that, that definitely is worth looking into as it relates to the final parts of William Branham's life. Um, so if, if you are in the message, I'd say this is probably not the place to start with this series. <laughs> you probably want to go back to the beginning and work your way up here. Uh, but yeah, we are going to look at the events around the assassination of President Kennedy and the effects especially that that had on Roy Davis, the KKK, and William Branham, too, by proxy. So the Kennedy assassination is something that affected everyone in the United States at some level. Um, it's, it's the only presidential assassination of the last century, and it happened at a time of deep social unrest in the United States, right at the height of the Cold War between the United States and the Soviet Union, and the event had a deep impact on the people here in the United States of William Branham and people in the message included. It is crazy interesting, Charles, and I'm going to also preface this episode with I am not a expert on <laughs> the Kennedy assassination history. I have worked with some people that are extremely knowledgeable and they have <clears throat> they've helped me with some of this because it is such a complicated thing to understand that I, you know, I was trying to wrap my head around it, and we were taught, because of the cult indoctrination, we were taught a very black or white world. It's either true or it's false. That's how all cults work. They try to convince you that there is no gray, and this whole thing <laughs> is in the gray. <clears throat> so I was trying to understand it, and um, I it, it took years of working with these guys before I started to even grasp the fact that it wasn't just one party that is ultimately responsible for the death of John F. Kennedy. There is a shooter and, you know, Lee, Lee Harvey Oswald is the one that gets credited with the kill shot. But there's some gray area in that. In fact, most of the historians that I work with say that it wasn't Oswald. They and they, you know, each one has the reasons and <laughs> they don't know who it is. <clears throat> but what they will tell you is that there were many different parties involved in the scene and it created this 
you know, for the FBI investigation that followed, it created this scenario where you don't know where to even begin to look because you had all of these semi-disconnected parties all rising up against the president and the president is coming out in the open in the heat of the war to keep the uh, school segregated in Texas. And, you know, you've got this massive amount of people that are right there on the scene. And which group do you begin to look into? So we'll, we'll do our best to try to unravel some of that history. But I'll, I'll warn you, I'm not an expert in this. I just know enough to be dangerous. But what I do know is every single piece of that puzzle that we, we examined with the historians, there is a link between some of the things that William Branham said in his sermons to some of those parties. So I'm, I'm a bit excited to get into this, if you can't tell. Yeah, so in the years leading up to the Kennedy assassination, um, William Branham had really demonized Kennedy to his message followers. And during the early 1960s, the message followers generally believed, and I know they believe, because it's on tape and I've known all these people, <laughs> they generally believed that Kennedy was secretly controlled by the Pope of Rome, and that a huge conspiracy was underway through which the Roman Catholic Church was going to overthrow the United States. And they believed that the end of days was just about to transpire, and Kennedy was basically working for Satan. Okay, so um, his assassination just from that level would have came as quite a shock to the message believers, because he was supposed to be the agent bringing on the end of days, and then, of course, he died, you know, which created lots of problems for you know, more mental hoops for people to jump through right in the message in order to keep making sense of things. But, you know, the message is a religion of political conspiracy theories. Um, it it always has been. Uh, it still is today, whether, you know, going back to the conspiracy that Kennedy was the secret agent of the Pope to help overthrow the United States, you know, to modern days. I won't have to mention any modern days ones, but I'm sure all of our listeners are aware of all of the modern day political conspiracies in the message among their leaders. Right, so the, the message followers were people who hated Kennedy, and the KKK hated him too. Kennedy was a supporter of civil rights, he had supported racial integration and desegregation, and the Klan was militantly opposing uh, Kennedy's agenda, even to the extent that they were killing civil rights activists and lynching people. And the Klan shared an ideology that was very similar to the message, uh, the Klan also viewed Catholics as the ultimate enemy, right? So the Catholic was were the ones pulling the strings in the uh, KKK's mind. And they believed that the non-white races were the foot soldiers to the Catholic conspiracy to overthrow the world by the Antichrist and bring on the end of days, okay? So the, the Klan believed something very similar to classic message end of days beliefs on this stuff. And it's honestly, it's because we influenced it. It was an influence into the message is why. And so Roy Davis was a leader of the largest faction of the Klan uh, at the time of the assassination, and he was headquartered in Dallas, Texas. And in November 1963, while Kennedy was visiting Dallas, Texas, um, Kennedy was murdered by Lee Harvey Oswald. And, of course, the whole nation went up in arms over that. Uh, the CIA, the FBI, Congress, the Secret Service, the Texas Rangers, all of these different groups all launch extensive investigations to try and figure out if there's some sort of a conspiracy behind the assassination. 
And they had all kinds of suspects, you know, of who could have motives or who could be involved. You know, some people thought it was the mafia, some people the Cubans, some people thought it was the communists. Um, there was all kinds of people who had motives that, that people developed theories about. Some people thought J. Edgar Hoover had Kennedy killed. Some people thought Lyndon Johnson had him killed, right? There, there's just um, literally a hundred different uh, conspiracies that all of these investigative bodies uh, began to investigate. And one of the groups at the top of the list that had motives and interest in killing Kennedy and, and was suspected and investigated was the Ku Klux Klan. The Klan was among the many groups who got caught up in the dragnet of investigations surrounding John F. Kennedy. And I think that was the biggest surprise for me, not that the Klan was involved. I kind of knew that, but <clears throat> understanding the Klan was the biggest surprise to me because... History has somewhat morphed in our head what we think about the organization, the Klan, Ku Klux Klan, and what we think about white supremacy. When you think of the Klan, you think of this group of people in white robes that hate black people, and that's about where it stops. It also, kind of like the cult indoctrination, it's also very black or white, and it totally excludes the gray. The Klan was strongly opposed to the Catholic Church. The Klan was using the fear of communism in the United States, which was, at the time, Charles, it was the biggest fear in the United States, the biggest political fear. And they would paint anything that they disagreed with as communist. If you are siding with the people who want racial integration of the schools, that's communist. If you are working with the Catholic Church, that's communist. And it's, it's really odd when you look at it. I, one of my favorite images that I use whenever I'm talking about William Branham's high-breeding doctrine, which was the part of the doctrine that William Branham introduced to complete Wesley Swift's Christian identity doctrine. William Branham has this notion that if a black person and a white person marry, their offspring cannot make it into heaven. <clears throat> and he says this idea of doing this is communist. And once I realized that that was exactly what the Klan and other white supremacists were saying, it, it just suddenly opened up this door for research because now I'm understanding William Branham is saying the exact same things in his revivals that if you went to a Klan rally and you heard which, you know, the Klan was rooted in what they called Christianity. So if you went to a Klan rally and you heard some Clan Christian person speaking, the things that he said in that Klan rally would almost 100% match the things that William Branham said. And these are recordings that I listened to constantly as a kid. So I'm actually listening to Klan propaganda through the sermons of William Branham my entire life until I escaped this thing. Understanding that was key to understanding what was happening during this event that would lead to the assassination of Kennedy. Right. And in our previous episodes, when we looked at Serpent Seed and racism and the message and all of those sorts of things and Gerald Winrod and stuff, we, we kind of went through the overlaps between message ideology and, and things that these, i say the Christian identity sort of views that were held by members of the Klan. And there is such an overlap. There is. And you know, in their ideology, in the Klan ideology, the communists are controlled by the Jews, and so communism is a Jewish conspiracy. And 
Of course, Message End of Days believes that the Antichrist will team up with the Jews and bring on the End of Days. Um, they'll sign a covenant. Well, the, they believe the same thing, uh, you know, among the clan. And, but the difference is, is they are just a little more public about who these people are. To them, the communists are the Jews, the, you know, the Antichrist is the Pope. And so there's going to be this unholy alliance, you know, between communism and Catholicism, or the Jews and the, you know, and the Pope, and they're going to overthrow the world together. And somehow the Pope is going to rule the world and, and all of these, Foot soldiers of the Pope are going to take him to power, and he's going to become the Antichrist and 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 be the most powerful ruler in the world at the last days, and and basically just bring on the destruction of the world. And so, of course, I mean that's a <laughs> it's conspiracy theory upon top of conspiracy theory. Honestly, I mean, but this is what they they believe. And so, when for example, when William Branham or the Klan or whatever talks about. Martin Luther King Jr. is communistically inspired, or that all of these people are turning communist. This all is feeding into their conspiracy theory views, right? Which ultimately ties back to their religious views, right? That this thing is a um, end-of-days doomsday scenario, you know, leading to the destruction of the United States. And Kennedy is like the prophet of doom, <laughs> You know, bringing about, here's the Catholic president who's embracing all of the minorities who are turning communist. And so in their minds, this is the doomsday scenario playing out right before their eyes um, in the 19, early 1960s. Yeah, and I think it's one of the things that you said that's important to reemphasize is that <clears throat> this was a widespread belief. It wasn't just William Branham. There were many, especially in the South, there were many religious leaders and even, you know, ministers in regular churches in small towns that were saying the same thing. But the thing that you said that needs to be reemphasized is the conspiracy theory portion of it. If you were in this mindset in the South, in the United States at this time, this wasn't conspiracy theory for you. You literally believed that this was happening, and you believed that you're watching it unfold. So at the time that William Branham says these very, very racist things in his sermons, he is saying it in southern states. You can go look and you can see some of these sermons where they are. And even Jeffersonville, I know it's in Indiana, but it's right at the border of Kentucky. So it's like, what, a mile from a southern state. He's, he's right there towards the south, right? <clears throat> he is saying some of the worst, most vile, racist things in his sermons. But it was so aligned with the white supremacy views in the south during the 60s that they did not see this as conspiracy theory. They did not even see this as prophecy, Charles. These people thought that they were watching this unfold. As we are diving into this, um, I, one thing I do want to say, too, uh, towards the front of this, is that, you know, the if you are somebody who doesn't believe, I guess, the official line on the government's explanation on the Kennedy assassination, you're actually in the majority in the United States. Um, the majority of people, I think, over two to one in the United States believe the Kennedy assassination was covered up. Um, and if you, if you have a, 
belief that the Kennedy assassination was some sort of a cover-up, you're actually in the very large majority, the overwhelming majority of people in the United States. And the reason so many people hold that opinion is due to the really strange things that happened right after Kennedy died. Um, Kennedy was murdered. Um, on November 22nd, and that same day, the witnesses tipped off the police uh, concerning the killer. And they arrested uh, Lee Harvey Oswald uh, that same day that Kennedy was killed. But then just two days later, so two days after Oswald's arrested, he's in police custody. A man named Jack Ruby um, then murdered Lee Harvey Oswald. So Kennedy's murderer got murdered. <laughs> and the whole thing got really, really weird. And to the average person looking into it, you know, from, from then even to, you know, the modern day, the majority of people in the U.S. look at that and say, that is really suspicious. It looks like there's some sort of cover-up happening here. And so I, I do want to make sure that the uh, our listeners understand the majority of people in the United States do not believe the official story on the um, Kennedy assassination. Um, but no one in law enforcement or anywhere ever has ever been able, though, to prove that anyone besides Lee Harvey Oswald was involved or that he was working for someone else. Um, the same with Jack Ruby. They've never been able to conclusively prove that. So if you look up JFK assassinations on the, uh, like the FBI website, they'll say very directly that Kennedy was killed by Oswald and Oswald acted alone. So that is the official position of the United States government. However, it is not believed by two-thirds of the United States population. <laughs> right. I, I think the other thing that I'll throw out at the beginning of this episode, Charles, is that <clears throat> we've talked about this to some extent before, but Colonia Dignidad, which was a William Branham message cult compound in Chile, as, they, as the government started investigating the tragic deaths and assassinations and all of the bad stuff that went on in this message cult compound the uh, there were <clears throat> something like 500 files kept on assassinations of people in South America and as they're going through these files they found a folder that's labeled JFK <clears throat> and in that folder were two shell casings from the same gun that Lee Harvey Oswald used. So here's a folder <laughs> with the shell casings labeled JFK. <clears throat> and what do you do with this, right? I've talked to the historians in Chile, and they don't believe that Lee Harvey Oswald was in Colonia Dignidad. But they also don't know what to do with this, right? The timeline does not really line up. If you look at the timeline of when Colonia Dignidad would have been populated with people and the timeline of the Kennedy assassination, you've only got a couple of years there. I think, if I remember correctly, it was 1961 when Paul Schaefer began the migration there. But the timeline just doesn't really add up, and you really don't it doesn't make sense why that this is there. But again, it's conspiracy theory. They don't know why it's there. In the message cult compound in Chile are these two shell casings. Why? Are, what is it there for? So I'm going to get that out of the way. We're just going to say we don't know. <laughs> I know. It, it. It's pretty bizarre, right? Like, was it – like, every all these guys hated Kennedy. I mean, everyone was – I mean <laughs> – Everyone in the message was glad Kennedy died, okay? <laughs> Even though they may not say it, they were, ha they were, they was like a sigh of relief when Kennedy was assassinated in the message and through all of these 
white supremacist groups and other, they were happy that Kennedy was dead. And I, you know, I wonder, was this a trophy where they were commemorating, celebrating it? Or did they somehow get a memento of this thing somehow? <laughs> like you just, you're left wondering, right? Um, yeah. just exactly what, what's going on here. Um, but I mean, obviously there, this was at the very least, um, Paul Schaefer and the people in Colonia had obtained a memento of the Kennedy assassination, which they were venerating. <laughs> I mean, it's that at the very least, it's that. So it's it's weird, isn't it? It's very weird. So I'll give my opinion on this, and I'll just leave it at that. It's my opinion. I'm probably wrong, <laughs> but you've got this big government conspiracy, and the majority of people believe that the United States government covered up what actually happened here. And there's clear evidence. I mean, if you look at Lee Harvey Oswald suddenly being shot by a guy that's connected to the mob, there's evidence that the mob was involved in this cover-up, if it was a cover-up. But the big deal is the shell casings themselves are the smoking gun. So if there was a government cover-up of what happened, then the shell casings had to disappear and... Where do they go? We don't know. There's this conspiracy theory that exists that there was a second shooter. Are these the shell casings for the second shooter? We don't know. But in my opinion, if that conspiracy theory were to be true, which I don't, there's no way to know, but the U.S. government would have had them to keep them out of the hands of the, you know, the lower level U.S. government agents. Well, Dinah was working directly with the military version of the CIA, um, the DIA, I think it's called, whenever they were working to overthrow Augusto or install Augusto Pinochet in power in Chile. So if this were the case, then it's possible that they just moved these things out of the country so that they <laughs> didn't get in the hands of the FBI. But again, that's an opinion. There's no way to prove it. And I'm going to try very hard to avoid the conspiracy theory <laughs> opinions in this episode. As we do talk, you know, uh, conspiracy just a little bit, there are, um, I think we should point out, there are quite a few FBI documents out there that say, um, Oswald was a member of the Ku Klux Klan. Like, here's one, for example. And these documents really tell that Oswald had been directly involved in some of the bombings and killings that had been carried out by the Klan across the southern United States. And in this document, for example, uh, it references both Robert Shelton and James Venable privately telling, you know, an FBI informant that Oswald was in the Klan and describing these things he'd been involved in. And both Robert Shelton and James Venable had direct links to Roy Davis. Like, these these guys knew each other. James Venable, for example, he was the man who represented all of Roy Davis's lieutenants as their attorney when they were all subpoenaed to testify before Congress and all this. So James Venable is the man sitting next to Roy Davis's second-in-command and third-in-command and Grand Dragons as they are testifying to Congress as their lawyer. He's the man saying, plead the fifth, plead the fifth, plead the fifth. That's who James Venable is <laughs> in, in all of this, okay? And he is here telling an FBI informant that Oswald was in the Klan. Okay, and so again, all these people know Roy Davis. I mean, they're they're all working together, and um, 
<clears throat> it's something else. And so it's interesting, you know, if these reports are true, you know, if this informant really did hear this from James Venable and Robert Shelton, um, and Robert Shelton's really the guy who rose to power in the Klan as the main leader after, uh, after Roy Davis kind of died and in the last year of his life. So, so it's something else. And so if Oswald was in the Klan, um, he definitely would have been listening to the same anti-Kennedy rhetoric that William Brenham was preaching in his sermons. And Kennedy, he would have believed Kennedy was the agent of the Antichrist, and he was setting up everything for the great end-of-days race war and the Catholic overthrow of the world. And for someone like Oswald, who he was reported to have some mental issues, you know, these kind of conspiracy theories, getting really bought into this stuff... That can make you act out in really crazy ways. I mean, we know that. I know that firsthand from the message. The people in the message who are not quite mentally stable, these conspiracy things will make them go bonkers. And so if, if Oswald is a man who is, you know, not in his right mind, he's hearing these nutso conspiracies theories. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that can drive him to do very drastic things, right? You don't even have to have someone say, Hey, Oswald, uh, I would like you to go kill Kennedy. Um, he could just be motivated to do this all on his own, just to result as a result of all this anti-Kennedy anti rhetoric emanating out of the Klan. We know it's enough to drive <laughs> even the researchers nuts, because you see all of these pieces to the puzzle, but you're missing the piece that links them all together. One of the, <laughs> one of the things that drove me nuts is the printing presses. This is a big deal because I've always asked this question. The cult, you know, we've talked about this before. The cult does not want you to know that recordings existed before the very first one that we have access to here in 1947. The very, <laughs> the very first statements on this um, recording says we're getting some new gadgets for recording, right? So <clears throat> the recordings pre-existed. But publications also preexisted. We've talked about this before. We've, uh, in fact, recently somebody sent us a little pamphlet that was one of William Branham's earliest tracts from 1945 uh, called I Was Not Disobedient to the Heavenly Vision. This thing was printed from a printing press. And when you go back and <clears throat> you examine the whole thing, none of it makes any sense. For years, Charles, they have printed all of this message material from Jeffersonville, Indiana, then shipped it overseas in these crates and boxes. I'm told by people who are over there that there's many of these crates that <laughs> they're just filled with these tracks and these publications of transcripts, etc. And they, you know, they're coming faster than they can even distribute them. But none of that makes any sense. Why not have the printing presses in all of these countries that you're you know, shipping the message out to. It doesn't make sense to box them up here and then send them there when you could very easily print them there. Take this into to today's world. Printing is incredibly cheap. You can, you have a bunch of people with just little computers and printers and print fast enough to cover the alleged small one in a million group that the message promotes itself to be. So none of the printing makes any sense. <clears throat> but Davis had a printing press in Jeffersonville. When he, when he was ran out of town and William Branham took over all of his operations, the question for me is what happened to those printing presses? Um, 
I know it, you know, there's some evidence that it burned, but these things, you know, it's a lot of it's metal. How much back then there wasn't a lot of electronics, how much burned, right? What happened to those printing presses? <clears throat> well, take a step forward as the politics and religion start to merge in the third wave of the Klan. You've got the National States Rights Party, whose headquarters is in Jeffersonville, Indiana. Well, they printed all kinds of material, too. What printing presses did they use? I don't know. Did they have their own? Did, what, what's the reason why they chose Jeffersonville, Indiana, as the headquarters for a political movement that is trying to overthrow Washington from white supremacy, from Jeffersonville, Indiana? That's a big question for me. But the biggest question of all, as you lay all these puzzle pieces out, is that in Dallas, where the heat of this rising up of the white supremacists against those wanting civil rights is occurring, there were these pamphlets that were the, the notorious wanted for treason tracts. They were you know, targeting President Kennedy. They said he's wanted for treason by the white supremacists. Well, these things were found to be printed from printing presses that were linked directly to Roy Davis. And there's an FBI document um, talking about research that the feds were doing with the local state police in Dallas in uh, December of 1963. There was apparently a person who looked just like Lee Harvey Oswald, except he had dark and curly hair, and he was going to get the documents being printed by printing presses by one Earl Thornton, who was a direct connection to Reverend Roy Davis. And the document says specifically, Thornton offered to allow Davis to use his printing equipment when Davis was in business as the Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. And, you know, Davis had embedded himself in the Dallas <clears throat> government with the Klan. So you had all of these Klan people who, you, you know, you, you, you can't really trust the locals. Is this person working with Davis? Is this person working against Davis? It's all this gray area. But the feds basically discounted testimony that it was Davis who printed those wanted for treason tracts because this... Um, his name was Brumley. Some inspector Brumley says, I know Davis personally, and I doubt he did it. <laughs> so the, the feds believe this. Now, looking back at what happened in Dallas, if the feds had all the information they have now, I think they might have dug a little bit deeper into the printing presses. You know, all that stuff is is pretty odd, John, and, and some of it, it's so hard to know just what to make of it. Um, as I, I think the thing that interests me most on that line is, so in the congressional investigation, when they subpoenaed all of the leaders of the Klan up, they actually asked about the States' Rights Party quite a bit in there, and yeah, the States' Rights Party was definitely a party <laughs> created and controlled by the Klan, there's no question. Its headquarters is in Jeffersonville. Where, you know, Roy Davis had lived, I mean, and it's almost, there is just, it is inconceivable that the state's right party, that William Branham did not know who those people were, at the very least. I mean, they were Roy Davis's friends running the place, okay? And so, yeah. <laughs> in Jeffersonville, I mean, it, it's probably, I mean, I really don't think that it's a, it would be a stretch for us to say it's probably the people that William Branham used to go to church with at Roy Davis's church that was running the National States Rights Party out of Jeffersonville, okay? 
who else could it be? I mean, just who else could it be? Um, it, it just, it just makes sense that it is. And so, yeah. And of course, they are publishing all of their national literature, um, from there as well. Again, there's, there's fairly good evidence on that. But again, just how, what do you, how do you make all of it? What does it mean? That's where it gets fuzzy, right? I mean, the, the connections are there, but they're, these guys are clearly all connected in some way and working together in some way towards some, some unclear ends. And I think it's also worth pointing out here as we keep talking about Oswald a bit. Lee Harvey Oswald was also from Oak Cliff. Okay. That's the same Dallas suburb where Roy Davis lived. Okay. So Oswald lived in the same neighborhood as Roy Davis. And it's nearly impossible that Lee Harvey Oswald would not have known who Roy Davis was, right? Roy Davis was in the news quite a bit back then. Especially in his own neighborhood. I mean, they all knew who he was. He was in the news in Clan Getup there. Um, and, <clears throat> and James Venable, the Clan's lawyer who represented, um, Roy Davis's lieutenant said Oswald was in the Clan. So, I mean, they, there's definitely, I think, a very solid connection that the FBI and the investigators would have saw between Oswald Back to Roy Davis, right? And we know they did because this is why they started investigating the Klan, right? All of this led to a massive investigation of the Ku Klux Klan. Um, and it, it's something else because you just got to realize Oswald had direct links. But the FBI found direct links from Oswald back to Roy Davis and the Klan there in Dallas. Um, and so, of course, naturally... Whether that had anything to do with the assassination or not, the investigators are going to run down all of the leads, right, just to rule it out. So the FBI, as you come through the Kennedy assassination investigation, is zeroing in on the Klan as one of their potential suspects that they're going to investigate. Yeah. And another piece of the conspiracy theory puzzle that I'll throw out there the government is investigating anyone connected to the Klan. And here in Dallas is the big man, Roy E. Davis. He is very vocal in his position against the integration of schools to the extent he's published in the newspaper constantly, not just the Dallas newspaper. If you're in the South and you are in the hot spots of the Battle for Civil Rights. Davis is being printed. We're talking key locations. We're talking Dallas. We're talking Shreveport. We're talking from Texas to Florida. Davis is being published. <clears throat> if you are a black person in the South, you know who this man Roy E. Davis is. There's no way you do not know. He is your biggest enemy. He's the reason why you're being treated the way you are and probably you know there's a great chance that you might be killed because of this man if you rise up against it davis was public enemy number one for anybody who wanted civil rights so <clears throat> the government after this is investigating davis we have documentation on all of the congressional inquiry into this davis's name is mentioned a lot <clears throat> well at the same time the people who are connected to him are also investigated, and Davis was a latter rain revivalist. Davis was a public debater 
for the Assemblies of God. The Assemblies of God sponsored Roy Davis's debates, and in the South, he was respected as a white supremacist leader and an evangelist and a minister and a planter of churches. That's how this man was known. <clears throat> when William Branham goes down into all of these hot spots, and he says, Dr. Roy Davis, who in introduced me into the faith, he's probably here tonight. William Branham says this in the South. Every white supremacist in the audience knows that William Branham is talking about the key figure in the Klan. There's no way that you don't know this. I'm aghast that my grandparents on both sides of my family went into some of these revivals. <clears throat> there's no doubt that my grandfather, especially the one that's the pastor of the Branham Tabernacle, there's no doubt that he knew this man, who, who he was, what he stood for, and William Branham's support of him during this time. And I look at the black people in the audience, and I'm just shocked, man, because they have no idea what they're in. There's so many conspiracy theories, you know, kind of bringing this back to the to the Kennedy assassination. There's so many different theories around who killed Kennedy or what their motive was or who was behind Oswald or second shooter, third shooter, all this sort of stuff, you know. And the Klan conspiracy theory is an interesting one. Um, it's interesting. I mean, Oswald, there is connections that does seem to put Oswald into the Klan, living in the same neighborhood as Roy Davis, right? Um, and at the end of the day, for me, it's it's hard for me to come to any conclusion with just what we have, you know. Um, I, I tend to take the approach that, um, you know, there's a principle, the simplest explanation is usually the most likely explanation. And when I look at all this, the simplest explanation seems to me to be Oswald got radicalized by some nuts, and he was already a nut himself, and then he just acted out on his radicalization uh, without even necessarily having to be told to do anything. That's kind of my my take. But when we look at that, even if we look at that, you know, that radical ideology, where did it come from, right? And who else was teaching that? I mean, it's so you you've got you've got a level of connection there um, with it, and and here's the thing: there's enough here, just like in what we've showed you. This is why the FBI wanted to investigate because they yeah. can very clearly see <clears throat> Oswald is connected to the Klan, and all and this is going to drive a deep investigation into the Ku Klux Klan. And and these are bad guys. These are all bad guys. Um, the Klan is bad guys. Whether they killed Kennedy or not, they killed a whole lot of other people. <laughs> They've got a lot to hide. You know what I mean? And they're not going to be looking forward to this investigation. And the Kennedy assassination is very bad news for the Klan, whether they were connected to this Kennedy assassination or not, because now the feds and every branch and power of the federal government is now being directed to investigate the Ku Klux Klan to figure out who they are, what they are, who their members are, what they did, um, and any level of connection they have to Lee Harvey Oswald uh, as part of their deep dives into the Kennedy assassination. Yeah. And I'm like you. I like to avoid the <laughs> the deep conspiracies because you really all it serves to do is make you go crazy. And I'm tired of crazy. I <laughs> I spent 37 years of my life in a crazy religion. I don't I don't want that anymore. But the problem here, Charles, is there are layers of conspiracy. It's not just one. 
you've got the Kennedy assassination and the like you said the simplest solution is Lee Harvey Oswald that makes sense right that's the easy solution but then add to add to that a layer well why then if he was the one responsible why did the mob take him out and who paid the mob to take him out so then you've got you know that first layer like you said it makes sense Lee Harvey Oswald did it but then the next easiest solution on top of that is well if he was immediately killed after they were the simple solution is they killed to silence him so that they couldn't have Lee Harvey Oswald talk about who did it and now for me where does that go man because we've already clearly pointed out that William Branham and Roy Davis were working with the mob William Branham is you know from his earliest days he's producing liquor with his father that liquor was being distributed in you know Newport Kentucky in Chicago through the you know the various mob connections he was he was living in the casino grounds right so his early days was in the mob then you've got these other weird connections Kenneth Hagen Hagen's brother Dub Dub openly declared that he was working with the mob and he gives some famous names of mob people that he was involved with so you've got the clan you've got the religious entities you've got the mob you've got all of this weird stuff who's the mob connection that killed lee harvey oswald was it the government was it the religious leaders was it the clan and there comes a point charles in which you hit this brick wall where you can't say you can no longer say that the easy solution fits because there are layers upon layers And when you take the easy solution for one layer, well, the easiest solution for the next one doesn't match with the first one. (laughs) And what do you do with this? And all I can say, because I've promised to refrain from my opinion on the conspiracy theories, all I can say is this. You had a bunch of really dirty people. And when you take a step back from all of the dirt and you look at the things that William Branham is saying in these areas – In support of the bad guys, he is just as dirty as the rest of them. Yeah, I mean, I I think that, you know, whether they are involved or not, they are dirty guys. And they've got a whole lot to hide. And the scrutiny that's coming their way as a result of all of this stuff is very bad news for them. And the, you know, it's something else. It's just something else. Um, you know, the, like I said before, the clan has definitely killed a whole bunch of guys, right? They've killed all kinds of people. The clan was murderers. They had a whole lot to hide. The mafia is murderers. They got a whole lot to hide, right? And they are not excited by these investigations that are going to happen. And I'm sure that everybody in the clan, as they start to find this stuff out, you know, that an investigation's coming their way, I'm sure everyone in the clan is starting to cringe. Oh my goodness, what's going to happen? The government is digging in. The government's investigating. I'm sure all the people affiliated with Roy Davis and with the clan were all just becoming very concerned as this investigation was, was digging closer and closer to them. Um, whether they were involved or not, because they're going to get caught up in the dragnet of this investigation. And as you um, think about that, I mean, you can just imagine what would be going through the mind of every person connected to Roy Davis, right? Because at any minute, 
you, you know, you're, you could expect to knock on your door and the authorities are going to come start asking you questions because that's exactly what happened. They subpoenaed all of Roy Davis's lieutenants, all of his uh, second in command, all, every person they could find in the upper leadership or connected to the clan, they're subpoenaing them in and they're being investigated, debriefed by police, right? And you can just imagine what this would do to William Branham who was ordained by Roy Davis, who was this closely connected to him as well. And so as you get towards the end of 1965, going into 1966, that's when they finally started bringing in all of the clan leaders and the clan lieutenants. So just the last couple months of William Branham's life is when the Congress got involved, the House uh, Committee on Un-American Activities. They began to bring all of Roy Davis's lieutenants to Congress to testify in Washington, D.C. in hearings before Congress about their connections to all of this and everything that was going on. And for me, you know, the most interesting part of this whole thing as it relates to William Branham is, I, t- I mentioned at the beginning of the show, the shift in personality of William Branham. You know as well as I do, Charles, that the most out there wacko splinter groups of the message the ones that are so far out there that even the main sect has disowned them they all tend to stand up to the weird things that william branham said towards the end of his life and say that this was when he was truly inspired by god there are groups out there that won't even listen to the recordings or read the transcripts before 1963 because they say those were uninspired. And William Branham has such a shift in his mental health that from 1963, the point leading up to the assassination, to 1965, he's a different person. His mental health is gone, in my opinion. And he's just changed to so far for the worse. Where it gets interesting for me is that that shift, if you go back and you look at some of the key sermons that those splinter groups reference, they're actually a bit before the Kennedy assassination. So as I'm looking into the psyche of William Branham, I could understand after the assassination, all of this investigation's happening, William Branham is clearly losing his mind. Like you said, as the government's cracking down, that would have an effect on a person who has severe mental health issues, which he has and has mentioned that he has. So that shift makes sense if it happened after the assassination. But Charles, his shift in psyche happens shortly before this Kennedy assassination. We start to see the things happening before. So it raises another piece of the puzzle. Why did he change before? Was he aware that something big was about to come, and was it was it wreaking havoc on his mind? I just I don't know. I can't answer those questions, but I can see that shift in his psyche. That's an interesting thing to consider. Um, you know, I I tend to lean towards perhaps he really was <clears throat> perhaps he really was mentally ill, um, and he was just spiraling downwards. Uh, that that's kind of what I lean towards, um, and. And it just kept building with time as things got worse and worse, you know, because y- you get uh, a point where here, here you can go to the congressional testimony, for example. So as Congress started to subpoena all of Roy Davis's lieutenants, here is, for example, page of the, where they subpoenaed Royal Young, 
Royal Young was basically second in command under Roy Davis, as he explains here in his testimony. And as all of these guys are coming up before Congress and testifying, many of whom had been appointed by Roy Davis, um, <clears throat> there some of them are outing other people. Roy Royal Young outs a whole lot of other people, and then all those people get subpoenaed to come, bef- you know, to come testify before Congress next. And so. This stuff is in the public domain, too. If you want, you can go look. The Congress published all of their findings of all of the bunches of F clan figures they interviewed. It's about 15,000 pages altogether, um, and it documents fairly well the state of the clan in the early 1960s. If you want to look it up, it's called The Activities of the Ku Klux Klan Organizations of the United States. It's from the 89th Congress, and... Congress subpoenaed every leader of the KKK they could find to come testify about this stuff, and you'll find many references in their testimonies about Roy Davis. And the most interesting testimonies to me are the testimonies from Samuel Bowers, the head of the Klan in Mississippi, John Swenson, the head of the Klan in Louisiana, and Royal Young, who reported to be basically second in command overall under Roy Davis. And so those are the most interesting testimonies um, that were before Congress that, that I find at, you know in all those documents. And so it's an interesting thing to look at. So these investigations into Roy Davis and the Klan surrounding all this stuff was a really big deal, right? Like, this was not a small thing. This was a big deal. This was front-page news um, in Louisiana, in Texas, in Mississippi, and, you know, in the places where these people were from. This stuff made front-page news. Um, and Congress got personally involved in this. So again, this is not small potatoes. This was really big deal when all of these clan figures are being, um, subpoenaed. It's very public and anyone connected to Roy Davis would have felt like they were under siege, um, as you come into this period. And Royal Young shared some really interesting things in his testimony to Congress, um, Royal Young Kennedy, who was, I think, uh, you know, like I mentioned, was Davis's second in command for several years. He explained that right after they found out the investigations were going to take place, just right after the Kennedy assassination, that they burned and destroyed um, everything they had in their paper records concerning the Klan. Because the, there's obviously something in there they didn't want the investigators to see. So they destroyed all of the Klan records. And, uh, again, like I say, whether they're involved in the Kennedy assassination or not, they have a whole lot to hide, like the names of their members. And, John, according to one of the FBI informants, here's a, here's a copy of this FBI document. This man was a lieutenant of, of, um, Roy Davis in the original Knights of the OK, of the OKK, the, the original Knights of the Ku Klux Klan. And they claim that they had in their paper records proof that Lyndon Johnson was in the Klan, too. So <laughs> so Lyndon Johnson, they're claiming, the FBI informant, that this is what they had in those paper records that was destroyed, was proof that Lyndon Johnson had been in the Klan. Okay? Yeah. And so, of course, that would have been burn up um, when all this happened. And so that, again, brings a, another really weird, <laughs> unusual angle to all of this, right? Because if you think about it, if if Lyndon Johnson was from Texas, not too far from Dallas, and if he had been in the Klan, it would have been Roy Davis's Texas branch of the Klan that would have had the records, obviously. 
So you get this really strange stuff, and again, this kind of goes back into the conspiracy theories, but there are people who think Lyndon Johnson had Kennedy killed so he could take over as president, and so this is one way that you get a way for all of these seemingly disconnected groups to coordinate together to pull off a strange conspiracy. Now, personally, I find it really hard to believe that Lyndon Johnson had Kennedy killed. I, I think that's hard to believe, but according to these reports, Lyndon Johnson had been in the Klan himself, Roy Davis had evidence of it, and Royal Young burned all the evidence right before Congress subpoenaed them all to come testify. I've seen the conspiracy theories that point towards LBJ, and I don't know, I can kind of go either way. Again, I'm going to try to avoid giving my opinion, but I will say that recently there is a there are a lot of new documents that we didn't have access to in prior years that through the Freedom Information Act, we're starting to get these these documents that paint a bigger picture. The LBJ conspiracy theory is, I think it's gaining some steam in the JFK assassination conspiracy crowd, <laughs> the researchers that are looking into this. <clears throat> and what's interesting is if you get deep into the weeds of this, you start to realize that it's beyond conspiracy theory. There there appears to be an actual conspiracy. The assassination itself, now that may be conspiracy theory, but the fact that there was a conspiracy, there were numerous people who were conspiring to do something to the president, whether kill him or stop him or silence him, whatever. <clears throat> LBJ, um, the conspiracy theorists point to him because he almost had a criminal record, and he's from Texas, and he would be a good person to manipulate by the mob because, you know, if they have whatever dirt they have on him, they can control him. So <clears throat> it turns into this weird mess that, you know, should <laughs> should it'll never be uncovered. We'll never know. But I just keep going back to the fact that before, during, and after this thing, we're talking about the number one key figure in white supremacy in the South, Roy Davis, the number one key figure in decline of the healing revivals, William Branham, all of these people joining into the revivals, and they're hearing the name Roy E. Davis in the revivals. William Branham continues to mention Davis after this thing. So as... You know, all of the newspaper reports, Charles, you know as well as I do, they're not very favorable of Davis. They mention his connection to the Klan, but then as it shifts into the darker, more sinister history, you've got th – this was a domestic terrorist organization. They were very militarized. They had weapons. That, they were weapons caches that after the Kennedy assassination, the – you know, these caches of weapons were suddenly burned and destroyed and documents containing all of the information of who is in this group that Davis is in. All of the documents were destroyed. Now, I found one and I've tried to find it for this episode. I cannot find it. But one of the FBI documents talked about the FBI <clears throat> investigators that walked out and they they got there just in time to see the smoldering ashes of some of these things. So there's more pieces to the puzzle that we'll never have an answer to. 
Why did they burn all of these records? What, where did, what were these weapons going to be used for? We're talking about William Branham himself talks about the coming race war. You've got Wesley um, Swift, who's talking about the race war that's coming, this impending thing. It's a widespread, you know, theology in the South. They saw this as, again, not conspiracy theory. They believed that the race war was here. This We're fighting it now. Arm yourselves. And they were while they're arming themselves and while they're creating this real military to fight and kill people, William Branham is referencing the general of that military in his sermons and saying, he's probably sitting right here. He's my good buddy, my bosom friend, Roy Davis, the general of this thing. Well, after the Kennedy assassination, Davis himself even goes into hiding and he transitions power. And so why did he do that? Why did this is a man who would never have done this? Why did he transition power to somebody else? And the timeline, if you look at it, it's very coincidental with all of this stuff that's happening. Yeah. So I, I just try to put myself into <clears throat> William Branham's shoes as this is happening. So William Branham had been ordained by Roy Davis. William Branham had held revival meetings with Roy Davis a number of times in the 50s and 60s. And it's entirely possible that Roy Davis or William Branham's name was wrote down in some of those clan records somewhere. I mean, I think we can imagine that William Branham must have had at least some level of concern that all of these investigations into Roy Davis and the clan could impact him, right? And if I'm just if I'm just putting myself into William Branham's shoes, okay, and you just common sense, my pastor who ordained me is being investigated in connection with the murder of the President of the United States, <laughs> I think it would be reasonable for me to expect someone might knock on my door and come ask some questions, okay? <laughs> Likely. <laughs> okay? And that is exactly the situation that William Branham was in. His former pastor, the man who ordained him, was being investigated in connection to the murder of the President of the United States, Okay? And so, as I look at all this stuff going on with Roy Davis um, surrounding the Klan and the Kennedy assassination, I just ask myself this question, how does this impact William Branham? You know, because based on everything we know, <clears throat> you know, how, how would it impact him? And there's one thing I feel we can say for sure, okay? William Branham would have felt some level of pressure and concern that he could be pulled into this investigation somehow. Okay. The government was investigating Roy Davis. There's a reasonable chance they're going to discover William Branham's connections to Roy Davis and come knock on his door with questions. I, I think that is a very reasonable thing that he would have been thinking. And, you know, for a man like William Branham, I could see this just being one more bridge too far for his mental health. Because remember everything else that's already been going on up to this point, right? William's been, William Branham's been sanctioned by most all the Pentecostal denominations. The IRS has been investigating his finances for years. He's already been in that investigation. He's been just outed by the deity cult, right? The deity cult's been outed. He's also been outed and accused of being a homosexual by the ministerial association he was working with. His fame and his popularity have collapsed. So in a lot of ways, William Branham would already feel like the walls are closing in around him um, before this stuff with the Kennedy assassination even happened, right? And this is why, you know, I think we already start to see this decline in his mental health 
before this even happens. Okay, And then the Kennedy assassination happens on top of this. And the man who ordained William Branham is now, the man he's been bragging up in his meetings, okay? That man is now being investigated in connection to the murder of the President of the United States. Okay, and now William Branham is at risk of newspaper articles being run about him, like they're running about the other lieutenants of Roy Davis, right? William Branham is at risk of being interrogated by the investigators about his, his, his relationship to Roy Davis. And you can imagine what this kind of pressure would do to a man who's already struggling with mental health issues, and it's not good, okay? So William Branham was living a lie. William Branham was connected to Roy Davis and the Ku Klux Klan, right? And there is just a very high likelihood, I think, that he is at risk of being caught up into this investigation, right? And for someone living a lie, right, someone with all of this pressure of this lie and this facade is, is on the verge of collapsing, for someone with a tenuous grip on reality, it's not hard to see how something like this investigation into Roy Davis and the Klan by Congress could push William Branham over the edge into worsening insanity. Yeah, I think for me, again, I try to avoid the conspiracy theory as much as possible. And for me, I just take a step back and say, what do we know? We know Davis was the key figure in the white supremacy side of this elaborate scheme that was unfolding. <clears throat> we know that Davis was holding the public speeches and uniting the people from a political stance against the president. We know this. We know that even though he was, you know, not fully accepted as the key figure who was printing these wanted for treason tracks by the FBI, I personally think the FBI would have looked a bit deeper had they known the depth of this elaborate scheme that was going on. Take that aside, he's he's saying the things that were in those tracks. So regardless, he's doing the same thing, the same political activism, right? <clears throat> there were many different key parties involved in this thing, and they each had different roles. And some of those roles were in the form of peaceful protests against the president. Some were unpeaceful. Some were violent. There are different roles, and you can't say that any one party is responsible for what happened other than Lee Harvey Oswald. He's the only one that you can really point to and say, okay, this is what we think happened. But when you consider all of these roles, they were big distractions. And to the investigation, where do you look? You've got all of these people. William Branham's role appears to be a united front in the religious communities that were spreading the political agenda in the revivals that was aligned with the political agenda that the Klan was presenting in their propaganda. William Branham introduces this end-of-days theology, much like the rest of his theology. He would take these figures in the Bible and say, this figure from thousands of years ago represents this person that exists today or this place that exists today. When he's talking about Chicago and he's talking about all of the weird stuff that was happening in Chicago during that time, he says, just like we see Nahum's prophecy, outer drive, Nahum saw outer drive in Chicago. Well, no, Nahum didn't see outer drive in Chicago, but William Branham uses this event in the Bible and says, this is what's happening today. And these people who are 
biblically uneducated <clears throat> take this as fact, a biblical fact, and they run with it. Well, William Branham runs with the notion that Ahab was representing Kennedy and Jezebel was rep representing his wife Jacqueline. And then there's this Ahab-Jacqueline doctrine, and he was inciting religious anger against the president, and he was using Klan propaganda while doing so. In other words, he is aligned with the conspiracy against the president to assassinate his politics, not his person, but his politics. And William Branham, we can clearly say, was deeply involved with this. He was... If you know and understand all of the Klan propaganda, what it means, what it says, what was being printed in these things, well, I've shared examples in my feed of the publications by the National States Rights Party. They're saying the same exact thing William Branham says in a more vulgar way, but it's the same thing. Well, he's doing it in the sermons. He's inciting a character assassination of the president. It's not a physical assassination, but it is a character assassination. I think that's a that's a, a, a good point to make because he was definitely demonizing Kennedy in exactly the same way the Klan did. You know, um, it, 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 there's just no question. And, and the overlap in the ideology and the belief is, is unmistakable when you take the time to look at it. And John, for, for me... Um, these last years, and especially the last months of William Branham's life, they're a cautionary tale, okay? Uh, we see in William Branham, um, in the last few months of his life, what happens when someone is living a lie, okay? And all of those lies start to catch up with them. And for someone who has mental issues, right, when those chickens come home to roost, um, it sends them in a downward spiral of worsening mental health. And I truly believe that's what was happening to William Branham at the end of his life. And this this stuff around the Kennedy assassination and the, the potential for him to be pulled into the investigations related to their inquiries into the Klan and Roy Davis, there's just one more thing in the background going on that the average person in the message would not know anything about, but that William Branham is dealing with in a private sort of way in his mind, right? His pastor... <laughs> The man who ordained him is being investigated in connection to the assassination of the president, and all of his lieutenants are being subpoenaed to go testify to Congress, right? William Brown's got to know this. This stuff is in the news. Um, and he, no doubt, is feeling pressure and concern for the same thing, you know, and... People in the message are probably going to hate me for saying this, John, but I believe truly William Branham was living a mentally tortured life his last couple of years. He's a man who was not at peace. He's not a man who laughed his way to the bank after he deceived us all. Uh, the last couple of years of William Branham's life was a life of worsening mental torment. And again, I know people in the message will hate me for saying that, but uh, I really believe William Branham got what he deserved. Um, William Branham reaped the reward of a man who lived a lie, and it was paranoia, it's fear, it's mental anguish, it's a lack of peace, it's mental delusion. And those come through plain as day in the final sermons that William Branham preached, right? You, you can't see this when you're in the message, but you get some distance and you look back, especially at those final sermons that he preached. It is there plain as day. William Branham was a paranoid, miserable, unhappy man. 
um, at the end of his life. And I think these investigations into the Klan, coupled with all of the other stuff going wrong, the IRS investigations into his finances, the Deity cult being outed, the homosexual accusations, the collapse of his popularity, the falling out with, with, with just about everybody he had depended on for most of his life, all of this is 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 pressure walls closing in on him as this lifelong lie that he has been building um, is collapsing before his eyes. I think that's a good way to put it. You know, if you were never in this thing and you weren't lulled to sleep by the voice and you suddenly grabbed one of these recordings and you put it in, you hear this guy screaming at everything and he sounds like Hitler and he's blasting this and blasting that and I hate this I hate this I hate this I hate this they would say what in the world is this <laughs> this is this a Christian minister is this somebody who's just gone nuts that's what they would hear if they listen to a recording after 1963 he is a very unhappy man who hates everything including women <laughs> he's women are the lowest lower than a hog or a dog I mean that's the kind of mentality that this man has it's extremely sad and painful to listen to, especially now. I, I can't even listen to the sermons after 1963. And <clears throat> in my research, as I'm looking at this thing and I see the shift in personality, if you listen to some of the earlier ones, there's actually some things that he said that's really good in the earlier ones. He, you know, he's got this ministry that says if – if they draw you out of their circle, draw a bigger circle and draw them back in. That's a good thing, man. I can I can agree with William Branham when he says that. I know I joke a lot and I say that he says nothing that's of value, but if you look at the earlier sermons, he actually has some good things. Now, I guarantee you he heard it from somebody else and he copied it like he copied everything else, but who cares? He said something that's good, and I'll give him credit for that in the early part of his ministry. Before the Kennedy assassination, immediately before, and especially after, that changed. He is a man who is very angry, like you said. He hates everything. He hates everyone. And especially if you don't agree with him, he's going to hate you even more. And, you know, for me, I just take a step back and ignore all of this. Take all the noise away. And when you take all the noise away, what do you get? You get a man who's mentally unstable at minimum, mentally insane at like all likelihood, mentally unstable or insane person who does nothing but rant. And that's what you get after 1963. And I think I've been this whole episode. I've been wondering, how can I wrap this up? Because this is a never ending investigation where you'll never find the answers that you're looking for if you came to this episode for answers for me it's as simple as this i'm glad that i've escaped that i'm glad that my children aren't being raised listening to that listening to an insane person rant i mean call it what it is that's <laughs> for me that's what you hear after 1963. It's an insane person who's ranting. I'm so glad that I've left this, Charles. And um, I know the listeners who are interested in the Kennedy assassination and the 
investigation that happens there, the, the conspiracy theories and all the rabbit trails that you can go down. I know that they would want this to go on and on, but we've got to wrap it up somewhere. And I think I'll just simply wrap it up by saying that this thing was much bigger than William Branham. And though he played a role, a specific role in the religious communities aspect of this multifaceted complex thing that's happening he like you said i think he did feel guilty and to some extent i feel a little bit sorry for him because of the mental health i don't think that he could really help it and whether he brought this on himself or whether this is just you know pure evil that formed in his mind i don't know but i'll just leave it with the fact that he had problems and the people who are, are listening to him and believe that those problems, that it's the only inspired word of God after 1963, many of them develop similar problems. So for those who have escaped and are listening to the show, I'm thankful that you escaped and I'm thankful that you can kind of clear yourself from this. So if you've enjoyed our show and you want more information, you can check us out on the web. You can find us at william-branham.org and christiangospelchurch.org. For an overview of the historical research of William Branham and the healing revivals, read Preacher Behind the White Hoods, an examination of William Branham and his message, available on Amazon, Kindle, and Audible. Join us again next week. We've got a great episode coming. <laughs>